Good morning. Thank you, Sam, and thank you, everyone, for the welcome that you have extended to us. My wife, Judith, and I have been praying for you and your discernment through this process, and we've been grateful for your prayers also. So this passage we've just heard read from Genesis 32 is close to my heart for many reasons. One of them is that it is a story of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And whenever I read it, I think of my own brother. Kenneth is two years younger than me. He lives in Dublin, Ireland with his wife and their sons. I love my brother and we're good friends, so it's hard to have him at such a distance. But we've had our ups and our downs too. When I was 10 years old, I shot Kenneth in the head with an arrow. I confess I did not mention this to the Knox search committee. <laughs> I want to be clear that it was an accident. Yes, I was aiming for him, but I did not think I would actually hit him. I was not that good at archery. So we laugh about it now, but I felt terrible at the time. Kenneth does still bring it up occasionally when the moment seems right to him. If you have siblings, you know that brothers and sisters fight. That kind of conflict happens wherever you find people in close relationship to each other, whether in families or in communities of other kinds. Here in Genesis, we have another story about two brothers. It begins badly. Two babies pushing each other around in their mother's womb, unwilling to share that space. And their rivalry continues at birth, too. Esau comes out first, but Jacob isn't content to let that go. He emerges grasping his older brother's heel, we read in Genesis 25 as if he was trying to pull himself ahead. The twins were a blessing, but it was already clear that this was going to be a complicated blessing. Now, we use the word blessing in different ways. It's really a kind of churchy word that often we trot out as a greeting in order to wish someone well. Sometimes all it takes is a sneeze. We don't usually even think about it. But this morning, I want us to do that. In this new year, we're asking God to bless us, and we're looking for his direction. As we emerge from a season of challenges during the pandemic, and as we pray for renewal in our own lives and in the church also, we need, I think, to recalibrate our vision around a biblical understanding of blessing. So this morning, we're going to start by looking at the context of blessing in the Old Testament. Then we'll dive into the struggle, into the action that we've heard read these 11 verses in Genesis 32. And finally, we will consider the unexpected grace of being blessed in our brokenness. Grace that is received by Jacob and also by us. In the Old Testament, there was no separating family and blessing. God had chosen a people and established his covenant with them. He had given them his blessing. The book of Genesis describes the early stages of God's redemption project, the way he sets out to restore goodness to the world. 
After all, that's how he created it. It was good. And he does this through a family he takes as his own. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel, and the people they represent, a nation, the Israelites. On that list, Jacob stands out for me, and not in a good way either. Abraham was renowned as a man of great faith. Jacob was not. Jacob's name itself reminds us of how messed up he was. Jacob, or Yaakov, means he who grasps the heel. And its broader meaning is that he was a liar, a schemer. He didn't have much faith at all. So why would God choose someone like that? Well, brothers had a lot at stake in the ancient Near East. It was the eldest brother's birthright to receive the full blessing. The family's money, power, property, and also the special promise of God. But the story of Jacob and Esau upsets those expectations. Jacob found it hard to trust God. Both he and his mother, Rebekah, were ruled by a fear that life might not work out in their favor. So they took matters into their own hands. Jacob tricked his father, Isaac, and stole the blessing. Now Esau, his older brother, was furious about this, and so Jacob had to run for his life. Whenever I read this story, I feel sympathy for Esau and dislike for Jacob. At the start of this chapter we've read from, the conflict continues. Perhaps wrongs will be put right. 20 years later, it's time for a little family reunion. Esau is coming with 400 armed men. It's his opportunity for revenge. Here in Genesis 32, we see how God shows up in our lives. We meet up with Jacob just as he's being forced to confront his past and face up to his fear. Jacob was most afraid of not having control of his own destiny. He was always grasping, unwilling to trust God. I think all of us struggle like that. Our fears can preoccupy us. Fear of change, fear of failure, fear of losing some valued thing, like maybe a job, or fear of losing someone important in our life. Fears for our health or fear of our own death. And we're afraid of not getting what we have hoped for, not getting what we've worked for. Maybe we're afraid that someone will find out the truth about us. We feel at some level like an imposter, and we're afraid of opening up to others. In the wake of the pandemic, I think all of these anxieties are ratcheted up after three years of separation and exhaustion. If you go back in Genesis, the first time God speaks to someone after the fall, after humanity is sent away from his presence in the Garden of Eden, he asked Cain, one of another pair of brothers with major issues, he asked Cain, why are you angry? Why are you sad? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? It's a question at the very core of the human condition. In the end, I think deep down, each one of us is afraid the answer might be no, that we will not be accepted. 
Here in Genesis 32, we find Jacob in the grip of fear as he waits for the inevitable. So we've looked at the context of blessing. Now we're going to focus in on the struggle. Suddenly, someone comes out of nowhere and tackles Jacob. The obvious question is, who is this man who wrestles with Jacob? At first, he's not identified. Some interpreters say that it was Esau who snuck up on Jacob in the night, or that it was an angel, or that Jacob was wrestling with his own psyche, his own fears and doubts. I think at the end of the passage, when Jacob says that he saw God face to face, we need to trust him. At first, though, Jacob does not know what is going on. God promises to be with us and to be with us, especially in the darkness. But he does not promise that we will understand his purposes. We may not feel his presence always either. Or we may believe in him, but still doubt that he really cares. Why does God wrestle with Jacob? Because he wants to come close and go deeper with him as he does with us. He wants Jacob to see him in all his glory and goodness. So put yourself in Jacob's shoes for a moment as he waited for Esau. The temptation to run all over again must have been overwhelming. He really thought Jacob was going to kill him. But this time, he's made the decision to stay. He's not hiding from God any longer. And that's clear from his prayer earlier in this chapter where he admits his failures and asks God for help. It's a simple prayer. He says, help me, God. And that's where we all start. With honesty, sometimes from a place of desperation, a cry to God when we've got nothing. And God answers that prayer. The next thing is Jacob's response. He fights back. The Bible tells us to seek the Lord while he may be found. God wants us to engage with him. So many of the Psalms are glimpses of the author's experience of struggling with God. But we do not expect God to be stronger. We do not expect to be stronger than God, do we? God is ultimate strength. And that's the twist we find in verse 25. It says, when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob. So what's going on there? How is it that God cannot overpower Jacob? Well, it can't be Jacob's strength. It must be God's choice. God makes himself weak here makes himself weak even to the point of taking on human form so that he can get close to Jacob. It's a kind of incarnation moment, God in the flesh for Jacob's sake. For Christians, it prefigures and points ahead to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Here we see God descending, making himself vulnerable. As Paul puts it in Philippians, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is the very core of Christian faith. This humble God enters into the mystery of our suffering and shows us that he is not distant. He is always waiting for us. And so Jacob's passionate response is just what God is looking for. How are we called to that same kind of engagement? Most of all, it comes from hearing God in his word and seeking him, seeking his wisdom in community. It comes from being still in the busyness of our lives. And it comes through unforced rhythms of grace in Sunday worship, small groups, spiritual friendships, and serving others. In these ways, the Holy Spirit shapes us and our life together. I can remember a time of wrestling in my own life. I was living just next door in that house through those windows, Knox House. I was a young adult in my early 20s. I'd just come to the end of my undergraduate degree at U of T, and I had absolutely no sense of what to do with my life. And a kind of despair had entered into my soul, really. I was not a Christian at the time. I'd rejected the faith of my parents six or seven years prior to that. But then one day I picked up the Bible and I read in Romans where Paul says, I don't really understand myself. For, what, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And those words stopped me. They, they cut deeply into my experience of wrestling with God at that moment. And I knew exactly what Paul was talking about. And the truth of it was like this sudden bright light. A light that eventually led me back to Jesus. Often, I think we experience that tension of not doing what is right, and we can just live with it. But then things fall apart, and God shows up unavoidably, and everything changes. What changes for Jacob is that he is broken to be blessed. Jacob struggles with God. We've seen that. But even more, we see a new reality between them. Closeness, intimacy, a kind of union. Like you get with a friend who stays with you through a storm, who cares enough to challenge you, to fight for you. For Jacob here, the turning point is dramatic. He resists God as he has for his entire life, but then God touches him and the pain is crippling. All of a sudden, the balance shifts. Jacob has to cling to God from falling over. He's no longer struggling the same way. Now he's depending on God, holding on to him for dear life. And that is when he realizes that he has to ask God for the blessing. He can't arrange it or grasp it for himself. Jacob had spent his life 
managing and manipulating to get what he thought God should give him, what he was owed. It may never have occurred to him that he couldn't control the outcome, that he might have to wait for God to give it to him, that he might be blessed in his weakness, even by being broken. Rather than blessed through strength and power, through wealth and success. To say that we are broken and blessed is not a contradiction, not according to God's wisdom. The blessing only comes through brokenness, and that is God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. As our kids were growing up, they loved the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. At one point in that story by C.S. Lewis, the children, who are the protagonists, are talking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. They're trying to imagine meeting Aslan, the great lion who's a Christ figure in the book. Susan says, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. Then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's good. He's the king. And sometimes he's the king who breaks us in order to bless us. God, God may not be safe, but he is good all the time. And we see God's goodness here as he renames Jacob. His new name, Israel, has God's name embedded in it. It means someone who struggles with God and who overcomes or prevails. This does not mean that Jacob won some kind of contest with God. No, his new name tells us that he saw the Lord face to face and his life was spared. He not only made it through the night, but he's forever changed. He's no longer the deceiver, the thief, the liar. And as the sun comes up, God blesses Jacob. He treats us the same way. If we let him get close enough, we will come to know him better. We will grow to trust him more. And most of all, we'll receive his mercy and grace. On the one hand, the Holy Spirit helps us and guides us over a lifetime of wrestling with God. Avoiding him, resisting him, bargaining with him, and then wrestling with him again. But God also renames us. He gives us a new identity, a freedom and a hope that comes from forgiveness. He does that once and for all at the moment when we are first truly open with him and admit our need for him and turn away from our sin. He takes the past and he redeems us. He promises to never leave us. This is God's free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and through him alone. And it's only by his grace. It's not like we stop wrestling with God at that point either. But we do it under a new rubric. His banner over us has become love. 
and we can rest in our adoption, our homecoming as his sons and daughters. But what does the blessing look like practically? For Jacob, it meets him in his anxiety. In verse 30, Jacob displays a different kind of fear, a reverence and a humility that comes from having seen the face of God. The blessing also lies in answered prayer. In the next chapter, when his big brother Esau finally arrives, not only does he not kill Jacob, but he embraces him. And so there's reconciliation, peace within that family between brothers. It's not that happy endings are guaranteed. No, like Jacob, we are going to limp away with the blessing. But God is faithful when we are willing to seek healing and restoration. So does God have a specific blessing for us? We've seen that Jacob only receives this blessing when he stops running away from conflict. When he faces up to a troubled relationship in his life. God does not encounter us in isolation or at a distance. He is with us most of all when life gets messy and complicated. As we address how broken we are, the broken relationships in our families, in our churches, in our city, and well beyond, and the division that we have now like never before, thanks partly to the pandemic. Here's my question for you. How is the Holy Spirit sending you out to seek reconciliation, to make peace in your family, in your circle of relationships, and in the wider city? How is that happening within this congregation? Genesis 32 is about Jacob, but it's also about his wider community. After all, his new name is Israel. It's the name of a people called to be a light to the nations. And so the story of Jacob offers hope for change, for rebirth, and for reconciliation for both families and for nations, for the world. As we wrestle with God in the church, we hear his call to be a faithful presence in the city and to be a blessing to all the nations. When we wrestle with God, we know the pain of the ongoing mental health crisis in Toronto, the housing crisis, the violence we seem to see more and more of, and poverty around every corner. As we seek to address these huge questions, we do so from the place of those who wrestle with God for others in their pain. The church is tempted now more than ever to pull back post-pandemic and lick her wounds. But Jesus was broken so that we could be blessed. And the cross of Christ invites us to change our minds. It demands a conversion. It overturns our assumptions about success and leads into the love of those who are God-forsaken and abandoned. We've seen Jacob struggle this morning. We struggle too. All of us struggle to trust God. And in return, to our surprise, what does he do? He gives us even more grace. Through Jesus Christ, God invites us to learn a new way, 
to set aside our pride and our privilege, to forgive those who have wronged us, to embrace our enemies, and to lay down our lives. That is the real blessing. In order to become alive to God, we have to die to ourselves. And we are broken and blessed as we take up our cross and follow Jesus on that journey. Ultimately, it's by his wounds that we are healed. At the cross, he was broken for us so that we could be made whole and receive his gift of salvation and the hope of the resurrection. The good news is that God doesn't wait for us to get it right. He takes us more seriously than we take ourselves. He loves us so much that he actually wants to come close and wrestle with us. God throws everything into pursuing us. Why would he do that? Because he wants to give us his blessing. He wants the very best for every one of us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are almighty God. The whole world, the universe is in your hands. And yet you choose to make yourself weak. You chose to come among us to give your life for us. Holy Spirit, would you show us the way in whatever circumstances we're wrestling today. We pray that you would meet us, that you would bring your light, your healing, your truth and grace more and more into our hearts and minds. We ask in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I think I should really have done these questions maybe before the prayer, but I'm learning your ways at Knox. So there are a few reflection questions, and I gather that each week you have a time of silence to ponder these questions. How are you wrestling with God in your life right now? How is the presence and power of Jesus showing up in your weakness? And how could the Holy Spirit use you and your experience of brokenness to be a blessing for others? Let's take a moment to reflect on that. Thank mm-hmm. you.